0: Father, as we begin today, um, we just want to take a minute to realize that our lives are so blessed. Our lives are blessed to overflowing. But Father, if we watch the news this week, we know that there are so many people uh, who don't feel that way today, who feel that their lives are empty. Uh, God, that there are conflicts around the world, that there are people who are obsessed with power. Father, we pray today uh, that we would just be reminded that... um, that we need you, we need your intervention in our lives, and when we are left to our own devices, we we become harmful and hurtful to each other. God, we just pray for, we pray for peace, uh, we pray for uh, the people of Ukraine, we pray for the people of Russia, we pray for our world that has seemed to have lost sight of you, God, we're guilty of that so much, and we just pray that today would just be a moment that we could remember uh, that you are still a God who is not finished with us, that even In brokenness and in woundedness, you're able to use us for your glory. We pray uh, that you would use us today, that you would help us to be your hands and feet, to carry your gospel to a world that seems to have forgotten who you are. So, so Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll come back soon. We pray that you will make your presence known in our lives, in our worlds, in our families. Uh, And may we be willing to carry you wherever we go. Please bless us today as we uh, as we talk, as we maybe uh, just enjoy listening to your word as we're convicted by it. We pray that you would do mighty and powerful things. And we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity we have to be in relationship with you and for the gift of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And the church together says, Amen. I just want to let you know, um, today is the last day you're going to have to listen to me. Um, because next week we have a guest speaker uh, coming in. I'm not going anywhere, don't worry, I'll be here, uh, to people always like, oh, I didn't hear any cheers this time, so we're making progress, that's, uh, that's really wonderful, thank goodness, um, but uh, uh, no, we'll have a guest speaker next week, you're not going to want to miss it, he's going to do, uh, do a fantastic job, one of my pastor friends uh, at another church here, he's going to come and share a word with you as well. Uh, if you're visiting, yes, we're, we're, doing a, uh, we're finishing the last week of the giving series, so you should have come next week, not this week, but don't worry, you're here already so you might as well hear what I have to say. Um, we've kind of been talking about this. Maybe you've seen some of these logos around and whatnot um, that we are. There's some projects that we're working on. Uh, if you haven't been by the student room, the renovation that we did there a couple weeks ago, you're going to wa- want to walk down that hall and just look in there uh, as things go. But, um, but we're doing some amazing things, and part of the things that we're talking about to achieve that goal is we are talking about giving. Now, I've made it very clear that i talked about this. Giving is not about money. It's about the heart. And I think sometimes when you go to a church and they talk about giving, everybody immediately sort of switches off and says, oh, no, they're they're just one of those churches again. And I want to be very clear. The reason why giving is not about money, it is about the heart, is because God already owns all the money. That's why it's not about money. It's because it all is already His, and we're just entrusted with it uh, for a short time. But it really is about the expression of the heart. We talked also about... um, Giving is about priority. It's about putting God first in our lives. It's about making sure that we know who gives us everything, and starting from there. That's why spending time with the Lord is so important each day, because it starts with that sense of priority. Uh, if you if you've looked at our little uh, our little shift booklet, and you can grab one of those, we've talked about finding your circle and finding a place finding a place to give, and we talked a little bit in that. In that little thing, we, we're going to try to implement what we're calling the tithe plus three. Uh, we, we, our goal is that we want people to tithe, not to us, not to this church, we, but we want people to be involved and invested in tithing. We see it as a biblical principle. It's something that comes forth. And we've talked about, hey, if you could tithe plus three months worth of tithe over the course of the next year, we'll be able to accomplish pretty much all of our goals. Uh, And so it's not a huge amount. We know the tithing is 10%. The offerings that we're talking about are 2.5%. It's kind of in that booklet. You can take a look. And we've talked about this idea of find your circle and leave a legacy, realizing that this is not about here and now, and it's not about us. It's about the next generation that's coming up behind us. It's about what we're leaving behind for those of us um, that that will leave this earth. We think about this in terms of, of retirement. We think about this in terms of inheritance. Sometimes we don't think about this in terms of church, that, that this is about legacy, and what we do with the here and now will also be judged. But today I want to talk about the final part of giving, uh, and what I'm going to call this is that I think that giving is about relationship. I could argue probably that every moment that we give money away, it's, it represents a relationship. When I go to the grocery store, and I say, I want to buy this, and I give you money. Yes, I'm not building a relationship with the grocery store, but there is something relational that's happening there. There's something that's happening. I'm assigning value. I'm agreeing to something with this other person or with this other entity. I think one of the things that we forget in our world is that money is an inanimate object that can be used for either good or evil. The money that's in your wallet A wallet is not inherently good or inherently bad. It's just something to be used. It's just a tool that can be used. You you can use money to buy food, which hopefully would be good. You could use money to buy drugs. We can use it however we choose, but how we use it shows the relationship that we have with whatever we're purchasing, whatever we're using that power for. I'm using this money to pay off credit cards, or I'm using this money to save for retirement, or save for college, or I'm using this money to give back to God. We, we choose what relationship we have to the contents of our wallet. Now, relationships, likewise, can be used also for good or evil. You can use uh, a, an employer-employee relationship to hurt another person, or to help another person. You can use your marriage or your dating relationships. You can use those for positive, but you can also, likewise, use those to abuse each other. Uh, this is why we have problems in our world today, because people choose to violate relationships and hurt people. Now, I want to deviate, and you're going to think, "Now, why, we're, I thought we were talking about giving. Why is he talking about this? I believe that the worst relational action that one person can have towards another is the act of adultery. If you're married and you're in this room and I say, what's the worst thing somebody could do to you? I mean, murder might be worse, but most people would actually say, I'd rather they kill me than it, I mean, just, just being truthful. Adultery, we know, is putting someone else before the person that you're in covenant with. Now, the, the second worst or the next worst relational thing you can do to someone is idolatry. Idolatry is when you put something in front of somebody else. And this is where obsessions come into play. For men, it's always like golf. Oh, you golf all the time, right? Some of you are like punching each other already. C's talking to you. I'm going to talk to you too in a minute, okay? So settle down. But, but the real, when, when we put something else before that other person and we say, well, I want, I want this car. That's what I want. And I'm going to get that car. And if you don't get it, you're telling me you're not, but I want us to accumulate all this debt and whatever it might be. We, we sometimes delve into these things when it comes to, uh, you know, adultery and idolatry. And we see horrible things coming out of those. I've never had a couple sit in my office and go, now thank goodness for adultery or thank goodness for idolatry. They're notorious bads. They cannot lead to good things. But the worst relationship in regard to giving is also adultery or idolatry. We do this with money all the time. It's what I would call financial infidelity. We commit financial infidelity towards God. The God who has made covenant with us, who is in relationship with us, we put other people and other things before him. If you just read the Ten Commandments, God warns against idolatry and adultery. They both make the top ten, and they're all relational commands either towards God or towards people, and we have a choice to use them for good or ultimately we could use them for evil as well. So today I'm going to talk about three stories in the Bible about uh, adultery, financial adultery, financial idolatry, and financial covenant. Now I want to set the context. We're going to be in Luke's gospel here in just a few moments, about Luke 18. So we're going to read a few stories, and Luke is really good because he puts all these stories together, but I want to set the context of why Luke talks so much about giving in so many different ways and represents all of these pictures. You see, what had happened was, like with any group of people, there were those of us that felt like we're doing this right. You ever met somebody, like, like my wife and I did Dave Ramsey, what, a dozen years ago, maybe more. Every time we do a Dave Ramsey course, there are those annoying people in the class that, that figure it out for the first time, and then they feel like they're the authority. Well, this is what we do. And I'm like, yeah, your life is a dumpster fire. I don't think you get to say that just yet. Okay? You ever meet people like that, that they're suddenly the authority, right? They go to the doctor. The doctor puts them on the, the diet. And now they know every kind of organic lettuce. And you're like, good job. Well done. But this is what's happened in the Jewish culture. There's a group of people, a group of religious leaders, the people that should be leading the church. That they've got to this point where they've kind of cracked the code and they figured out how to serve God correctly and Luke writes uh, a series of stories that kind of sets this corrective right but, uh, but the context of money I want you to see with the context of money in Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 9 it says to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them a parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you were a religious leader, you would think, oh, I know how this is going to go. And Jesus spins it, right? The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. Thank you that I'm just awesome. I, I'm not like anybody. else. I'm not a I'm not a robber or an evil, evildoer or an adulterer or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. So he's doing all good things, isn't he? He's praying. He's fasting. He's tithing. He's, he's doing what he should be doing. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven, beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What what he is saying in the midst of this story is he says, we need to be careful. Whatever actions we participate in, we need to realize that we're using them for good and they haven't slipped over into evil or legalism or something else. And then he's going to tell a series of stories. We're only going to read uh, three of these today the first one is about financial idolatry you've heard the story a certain ruler this is verse 18 came to Jesus said good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good Jesus said no one's good except God alone you know commandments: do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal don't lie honor your parents all of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Notice he doesn't say, follow me, and that'll lead you to sell everything. He, he says, you know, participate in faith, and then come follow me. And it says, when the man heard this, he went away sad, sad. Because he was very wealthy. This is a story about financial idolatry. His identity was in his stuff. How many of us have never done this? Yeah, we've, we all do this, don't we? But he his whole identity is the stuff that I have defines who I am. And unfortunately, Jesus says, I'll tell you what. If you want to be right with God, get rid of the idol. He says, the man goes home and he says, but I really like my idol. Okay, how can you be in good relationship with God if there's something there? And, and this is the way that God does it, isn't it? The thing, if you go to God and say, God, I want to have a better relationship with you. He'll pick out the thing that you like the most, and he'll say, "That's what I need you to give up so that you can have room for me to work in your life." It's something that every single one of us goes through. If you don't believe in financial idolatry, go look at your kids. They ever had this conversation? But it only costs ten bucks. Yeah, but you didn't earn any money. Well, it's only twenty. It's not that expensive. It is to somebody who has nothing. Yes, ten bucks might not be a lot to mom and dad because we we work hard. But the person, it's so easy to slip into idolatry and to do that with our finances. What about the next story? We talk about financial adultery. This is a good story you know. And it's amazing how chapter 18 flows into chapter 19, flows into chapter 20, 21. Luke is doing kind of a series right here on how we give and how we see these things. The next story you know as well, um, Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He's a big dog. And he was wealthy, equally wealthy to the guy we probably just talked about. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was short, couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him when Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly all the people saw this began to mutter he's gone to be the guest of a sinner zacchaeus stood up and said lord look here and now i give half of my possessions to the poor and if i cheated anybody out of anything i will pay back four times the amount and jesus said today salvation has come to this house Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Financial adultery. Zacchaeus had spent his life, had spent his life trying to have good relationships with people, but he couldn't. So he decided rather to have power over them because that's what we do. If you cannot have a healthy relationship with someone, the next thing to do is to try to find a place to have power over them. And that's what he has done. And what he has done is he has not only traded his soul against his own people, but he has committed financial adultery because he has chosen himself over someone else. And he's chosen himself over God. And there's this moment that Jesus is sitting at the house, And I'm sure, I would love to know the dialogue that happened between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Because I imagine it was probably quite similar to the one that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. Because I'm sure Jesus went in and said, wow, this is a nice house. You've got some beautiful, you know, you've got so many servants. And you just, you know, wow, what a mansion you live in. Hey, how are your relationships with people? Zacchaeus probably said, you know, I have all this and nobody likes me. I don't have somebody to share my life with. No kids to have a legacy with. And he has this moment with Jesus where he listens and he says, I'm not going to commit financial adultery anymore. I'm not going to cheat people. I'm going to be in right relationship. And he says he gives up. I guarantee you, if you went and saw Zacchaeus maybe six months later, he wasn't living in that neighborhood. He wasn't driving the same cart. Like that just thought of that his life changed he probably had some big sundays the religious leaders probably loved it when he came and he gave and he made made relationships right with people you know there's honor in going to someone and saying hey i did wrong i cheated you and i shouldn't have and i i want to say sorry not just sorry i want to pay you back what i gave you and i want to give you even more he made his relationships right and that's why jesus says this man is saved Because he's acting like a saved person. By implication, it's saying when he was living in financial adultery, he was lost. The last story is one about financial covenant. Ironically, though, right after the story of Zacchaeus, it tells the story of the talents. And then after that story, it tells about Jesus in the temple at the end of chapter 19, talking about people buying and selling. And then in chapter 21, Jesus gives us an image of what financial covenant looks like. He says, as Jesus looked over, and now he's in the temple in this setting, as Jesus looked over, he saw rich people putting their gifts in the temple treasury. That's a good thing. They came, they were faithful people, they gave to the Lord. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. That's financial covenant. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's not, he's not making an antagonistic statement towards those that were generous, although we sometimes read it that way. Oh, these rich people. No, they're, coming to, they're doing what they should do. But he's talking about a heart quality. This is where giving is about the heart. He talks about a woman who came with very little. And instead of going, well, what I have is nothing or what I'm giving is irrelevant, she gave it willingly. She gave it out. There's no rest of the story. I wish I wish that it said after this, she, you know, somebody gave her a lottery ticket and she won. Mil- I, I don't know how I would love that story to end. But Jesus says, this woman has given more. She's given until it hurts. She gives She's giving it like she's giving her life away. Does that remind us of any other story? You see, to find a healthy relationship to giving is when we step into financial covenant. Now, we don't like the word covenant, and we don't want people up in our business, do we? But when we find that place that, oh, it hurts a bit, we struggle with it, just seems to think that's when we know we're coming close to covenant. Now I want to share about three different things, we're not quite done yet, I want to share about three different things today, and I know these things are not fully jointed to what I've just said, and I'm aware of that, but i prepared them, so I'm going to say them, okay? I want to talk about the ABCs of covenant. The first one, A, we know when we're approaching covenant when we are a part of something. Are, these are silly things, silly little acronyms that I'm going to use today. But, you know, people need to be a part of something. If we had marriage relationships the way we have church relationships, what would they look like? If we if we showed up half asleep once every three weeks in our marriages, I don't know that, that our marriages would be thriving and doing well. Yet sometimes, you know, I, I hear people and I see people in, in spiritual lament. They come in and they go, I'm really struggling in my faith. My response to them is, you need to be at church. Yeah, but we're really busy. And I'm like, it's really hard to spiritually form you if you're not there. Are you spending time with the Lord? Well, I don't have time to do that. It's really hard for God to shape and form us if we're never around him or around other people that are around him. You've got to show up in your life. And I think being here, you guys have done a great job of being present and being here. And when you are here to worship and to engage, and that's a powerful thing. And my encouragement is keep doing that. I'm not saying that God can only show up on a Sunday morning between 10 and 11.05 or whatever it is, but you have a better shot if you're here and engaged and listening and receiving and worshiping and expressing. You need to make church a priority. It's an important part of your kid's formation and of yours as well the second one the b is you need to belong a lot of people are like i don't want to be a part of a group i don't want to be doing something more than than here again it's hard to shape people that are not around that are unwilling that have unrelenting hearts or that basically saying i really don't want to do that i don't want to be a part of that it's important to belong doesn't mean that you're at everything doesn't mean that you come to every activity that we always have but if you just want to walk in and walk out, it's kind of hard for God to form us that way. If the only praying we ever do is asking God for something and we never listen to him, then how's he ever going to tell us anything? Sometimes we need to be around people again, making groups, making connections a priority. And the third one is that we need to we need to connect or we need to commit, maybe, is a different word as well. We need to serve as a part, make that a priority. We've talked about this, Tons of people that are saying, hey, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to be a part of something. When you participate in these things, you're walking in covenant. Yes, it requires something from you. But it also helps us avoid spiritual, financial adultery, spiritual, financial idolatry. It keeps us on track. I don't know about you, but I need that a lot. You know, I talk to people sometimes about money, and people say, well, I've heard people say before, well, you know, if we give more, then there's going to be less for our kids. Our kids are involved in every sport and activity, and one day when we leave, we want to give them so much money that, you know, they can just pay off their whole lives. And I want to tell you today, what you leave in your kids is much more important than what you leave to your kids. Stop giving your kids everything. There's this great new word that came out, Two letters, so easy. Everybody can learn. What's the word? Yeah, your kids won't die. How many times did your parents tell you no? It was like my parents' favorite word. I heard no more than I love you. Okay? If you say no more than I love you to your kids, you are parents of the year. That is the word of the Lord. Tell your kids no. Because what you put in them is far more important than the stuff that you give them. Go, go ask your kid. What's the one thing you remember about us as your parents? I promise you, they won't be like, "You got me a new iPhone." They'll remember an activity or something else, something that's much bigger. We need to spend our lives focused. You know, you, you know the difference between leaving it to them and leaving it, you know, you know, leaving it in them. In them is covenant. It requires time. You got to show up. You got to belong. You got to serve them. This stuff is. In previous years when I've talked about giving, and I'm going to say like two minutes on this and then I'm done, uh, what, I, what I've called the 1% rule, a lot of people have asked me, oh, what's the 1% rule? Uh, some people, the jump from maybe nothing or very little to tithing is a big jump. It takes people some time. This is what I tell everyone. Start with 1%. If you give nothing, give 1%. If you give 5%, give 6%. If you're a faithful tither and you give 10%, give 11% this next year. Just give a little bit more. Step out a little bit more into your comfort zone. But the reality is this. There's only one number that God can never use, and that is the number zero. When you were in school and you learned your times table, you know, six times six is 26. You learned all the stuff. never leaves you, right? If you did not catch that. (laughs) But there was one times table, right, that everybody knew. Anything times zero is God times zero is zero. This is a lesson we need to learn. God waits for us. And when we step towards him, he does immeasurably talk about this too every single year, and I genuinely mean it, that we give you a risk-free, money-back guarantee on your time If you step into tithing and say, we're going to do this. As a family, it's been on our hearts. We don't know. We're just going to step out, and we're going to do it. If you do that for 90 days, and after 90 days, you do not see the overwhelming presence and work of God in your life, in your marriage, in your family, I promise you. We will give you your money back. Although I've never seen God fail. And I've seen people tell amazing stories. Our marriage was in, we were on the brink of divorce. And instead of spending that money on a lawyer, we started giving it to church. And six months later, God redeemed our lives. There's something powerful about this. And when we step into it, God does amazing things. You know the, the wonderful thing about God and the genius of God is uh, that he gave to us before we he ever asked us to give anything to him. When you grab one of these walking in, do you realize that this is a gift? It is the gift of God, God's greatest gift in this act called communion, where we get to share in the story of God. And so today as we as we share these elements, bread that symbolizes a body broken, and juice that symbolizes blood poured out. As we take this, our first response should be, thank you, God, for what you have given to me. And our next response is, I will do my best to return to you and give to you the way that you've given to me. So as we share in the body and the blood of Christ, let's, let's think about the tremendous gift that God has given. Father, today, as we share in bread that represents body, as we share in blood that represents share in cup that represents blood poured out, God, we just pray today in this moment that we would be overwhelmed by your generosity, not just giving us stuff, but giving us a legacy of life, allowing us to be children, your children. Father, as we respond today, as we receive first, may it empower us to focus our lives, to step back into financial covenant, to step back into spiritual covenant with you, that you would lead us. We thank you, Jesus, for this great sacrifice. Please bless us as we share in it together. We ask this all through Jesus and the church together says.